Well, hello, everyone. My name is Pastor Todd, and I'm so excited that you joined us this Memorial Day weekend. I want to welcome all of our locations, East, West, and Prison. And I am just excited to have the opportunity to speak today because I was given, they asked me a while ago to speak on this weekend. They go, hey, you can speak on whatever you want. And I was like, oh, really? Well, and so I decided this is where we would land. We're going to talk about battle scars. Sounds intense, sounds manly, sounds perfect, all right? And so as we kind of walk through this, I hope today we start wrestling with just some of the scars that we may have and how to deal with them, how to have the right perspective in them. Because I know this, you can start thinking about this now, all of us have scars. Already you're starting to think about just some of the stories that are connected with them and some of them that you like to share some of them that you may not. I'm going to share a few of my scars with you. First one that's always obvious, especially for people who are short, is I've got a scar right underneath my chin. And so if you look closely, you'll notice that this scar causes me not to grow hair in this specific part. So I always keep this five o'clock shadow, but then that makes that scar just a little bit more obvious. Well, here's what happened. I was uh, seven years old. And I was uh, helping my dad get some woods for our fireplace. And so I'm out there. It's around Christmas time. Family's in. And so I help a little bit, being a seven-year-old. And then I start running towards the door because it was cold outside. And I slip on the deck, land completely on my chin. I don't know how I got like that kind of force going on. And split it open. This was the first time I had to get stitches, and I was freaking out. I remember grandma holding me and saying, it will be okay, and I'm going, I don't think so. Like, I think, I think I'm dying. Like, that is what's happening right now. And so that was that scar. But that one is kind of like okay to share. But there are some that you're like, okay, I'm actually like proud of these scars, and so the, this next one I'm going to share with you, this is one that a lot of people actually probably don't know because it's on my knee. And so unless you, I'm wearing shorts, you're going to see it. So here's a picture of my knee. You probably didn't expect to see some of the pastor's skin today, but there you go. <laughs> Showing a little leg to you guys. There you go, a little treat. Um, <laughs> but that is a horrible picture. Anywho. Um, Two scars that I want to make you aware of. First one right here. This is where I tore my ACL. Um, it's very painful. I did it playing basketball my junior year in college. I'm not playing for the team. It was, of course, intramurals, which makes it even more difficult. Um, <laughs> and so that was painful. I remember going through all the just recovery process. It was horrible. Now, this other one up here was just due to stupidity. I don't know if you have some of those scars. Um, I was working at maintenance uh, while I was in college to help kind of pay for college. And so for the maintenance team, we went out to different uh, buildings. At this point, we were at a house. And so we walk up, and I remember walking up to the house because we were going to go figure out what we were doing. And I remember passing this massive pothole. And I looked at it, and I was like, man, that is dangerous because it used to be where a telephone pole was. So it's very deep, and it's just like perfect to put your leg down and really hurt yourself. And I thought, man, people better watch out. They're gonna, this is going to be bad if that happens. 
So I go up and boss is given directions and he says, all right, Todd and this other guy, I need you to go get the big ladder because we're going to need it. So I was like, all right, let's go. We go and get it and I'm carrying it and I'm talking to the guy as we're doing this and I step in the exact hole that I had told myself earlier, man, that's going to be painful if someone does that. <laughs> and it was, it was very painful. And so I somehow found there was some sharp object in there that scraped the top of my knee, twisted it, the whole deal. And so I look at my knee, if someone's there's like, oh, you had ACL surgery? Is that your scar? I go, no, that is not my scar. Because if they cut me up there, that would be a problem. Because this is where my ACL is, all right? <laughs> and so those ones I kind of like sharing a little bit, because um, it's just kind of a funny story to me. But there are some other scars that are a little bit harder to share, whether it's because of failure, rejection, or just life happening. But here's one of those stories from my life. So I was 17 years old at the time, and I was at a youth conference, and I felt God kind of pushing on my heart to be like, I think you need to walk out being in ministry. And I was taken back by it because that was not on my radar at all um, of what I had planned to do with my life. But there was part of the excitement of knowing it, junior year in high school going, I think I know what I'm supposed to do with my life now. I get to walk out. I know what I'm going to do ministry. I, I get to go to college. Like I knew now with the steps to take. So there's part of me that was like, okay, I'm, I'm excited for this. Still nervous, excited because the one aspect of the job I was so scared of was public speaking because I had a huge fear of it. And so I said, all right, I've got to overcome this fear. If I'm going to walk this part out, if I'm going to do this job, then I need to be able to speak. So I went up to the youth pastor and I was like, can I have an opportunity to speak one time at youth group? And they were like, yeah, certainly. We'd love to give you that. And so it, that moment came and I had studied, felt good going into it. And then I got up there and it was a three-minute sermon. Um, it was also one of those moments where you can just feel the failure happening. Um, and then you get done, and the youth pastor, just to kind of add insult to injury, walked up and was like, hey, what I think Todd was trying to say. Um, and then I asked my brother, because I was still wrestling with, was it really like that terrible? And I was like, hey, how do you think it went? And he was like, well, um, it was... It was good. You know, that time where you're trying to be nice to someone and you're like, I don't know what to say right now. And so that moment, that failure, that what felt like rejection on some levels caused God and I to have some different conversations. Where before it was like, all right, here's ministry. Here's how I'm going to do this. And this is, I'm going to walk this in a, such a powerful way. And now God's like, oh God, I don't, I don't think I can do this. I'm not going to get back up on that stage. And so for the next two or three years, I tried to find anything else except being a pastor. And see, those scars, they affect you. And that's why to me this conversation is so intriguing because scars not only have the stories behind them, but they also kind of give us perspectives into life. And so even with this weekend, as we are 
celebrating Memorial Day weekend, celebrating and remembering those men and women who have sacrificed so much, giving up their lives so that we can have freedom, so that we can have opportunities here in America. Don't forget, those are our families who are dealing with the scar of losing that loved one. And so to me, it just gave me some perspective and hopefully all of us some perspective of just being thankful and honoring the families who are walking through that. And not only that, there are so many military people who go into battle and come home with scars. Some of them evident, some of them internal. And so I thought just to help us get into this conversation even more, I wanted to show you a story of a military person who is having to walk through this and having to deal with the scars in his life. So watch this story. Come on, Zane. We caught up with 21-year-old Matthew Katka at the Dublin Christian Academy alumni game. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing great. Just, you know, couldn't be better. You know, I'm still alive, so. The Army specialist was serving in Afghanistan in July 2009 when a bullet hit just beneath his helmet during a firefight. Hit the skull and just pretty much like kind of shattered, just shattered it a little bit. Matt spent seven days in a medical coma. And for me, it was just like, I saw this like, it was like being in like a white room for a while. And it was like, you know, I'm not dead and I'm not alive. I was like, where am I? The young soldier suffered a brain injury and had a titanium plate put in his skull. At first, he had trouble speaking and moving, forgetting even how to say the word 10 when asked how bad his pain was. Like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm sitting there, I cry because it's like, you know, it was a 10. But, I, you know, I could only say one because that's the only thing I remember. Today, his speech is almost fully recovered. And while he can show off his soccer skills, Matt still has vision issues and needs therapy to correct his balance. He is now awaiting medical retirement from the military and taking classes for a college education. You see the scar. You see how I think that even changed his perspective on life, but also how he's overcoming it. And so I look at that, and there are so many stories like that. You could spend hours upon YouTube looking for videos like that. But I hope by this point you're starting to recognize this truth, that every scar has a story. Whether it's a visible scar, whether it's an internal scar, it has a story behind it. And here's where the next part of this becomes the part that we really need to discuss. And that is our stories influence our perspective. So if you kind of connect the dots here, you've got scars that bring about stories, and these stories influence our perspective on life. I could tell you going back to my own failure, my own scar of speaking and totally bombing, that led to two to three years of this perspective of thinking, I'm not good enough to be a pastor. There's no way I'm going to cut it. And running from it trying to distract myself by doing something else. And all of us in here, if I, maybe like if we talked about divorce, if we talked about brokenness in relationships, maybe with your kids or with your friends, maybe the sin that's in your life. If you talk about those scars, those ones that you are embarrassed about, those ones that are hurting you, or even getting to the deepest one, maybe you've lost someone that you've really cared about. See, these scars influence our perspective. They change how we see our lives. And so, do you have the right perspective 
on your scars. Because I do believe this, our scars will either tell us we can or we can't. And so I think it's critical for us to be able to have a conversation that goes, okay, if this is true, are the scars in my life pointing me towards a healthy perspective or an unhealthy perspective? Because I know this, our scars communicate stuff. If you look at it, if we're talking about the military, those scars represent freedom. Those scars represent opportunities. And so what do your scars represent? What are they telling you? And that's why I think the perspective is huge. So I want to share a story from the Bible that I think begins to help us walk this conversation out. Because if you're like me, I go, that sounds true, that sounds right, but how do I do it? How do I walk this out? How do I know if I've got the right perspective or not? And so the story in the Bible is, is what you read in the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your Bible, to where you see the story of Jesus, but I also want you to focus on the story of his disciples. Now, if you're new to the Bible and you're wondering, who are these disciples? What are they doing? Why are they called the disciples? It was simply this. They were the ones picked by Jesus. Jesus went and said, hey, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. And they sat under Jesus' teaching. Most of them, it was almost three years. But for 365 days a year, they were with Jesus constantly for about three years, studying underneath him and saying, okay, Jesus, you're our rabbi, you're our teacher, show us what is life supposed to be about. And Jesus is like, I've got this mission, I've got this ministry that I want us to do, and I want you guys to join in on it. So they saw all the miracles that maybe you've heard about. You think about water to wine, they saw that. They saw Jesus feed the 5,000. They saw Jesus raise someone from the dead. They saw Jesus heal so many people. So you would think his disciples, they are going through this journey of really understanding what it means to believe in Jesus. And they were getting at this point to where this guy may be the Messiah. Now, remind you, they are all Jewish. All Jewish guys who were looking at this going, hey, man, this, this is the guy that we were told about as a young boy. Like, this is the guy that they said a Messiah was going to come. This may be him. This may be it. And we are the ones that are sitting underneath him. You think about just the, the crazy part of that, that you're going, I, I may be a part of this. I may be seeing the Savior here on earth. But then all of a sudden that changes when Jesus is arrested and then Jesus dies. Look at this in Matthew 26. You got at this point, this is when Jesus is arrested. All the disciples deserted him and fled. Now, up to this point, Jesus had poured into them, coached them, showed them so many crazy miracles. You would think Jesus being arrested wouldn't be like that. Like, all right, well, Jesus will break through this. Jesus can do this. We'll stand by him. But they're all like, no, no, no. For some reason, the arresting part made them all run. Now they're scared. And then on top of that, Jesus dies, and they freak out. They do what I think humanity normally does when scars come into play. They have these reactions that I think all of us can connect with. Because they had the scar of their best friend 
dying and watching it happen. And so I'm going to walk you through three different circumstances where you see the disciples wrestling with different things, normal things, things that we all wrestle with in the midst of our scars. So here's the first one. From then on, oh, sorry, this is kind of the part where Jesus is telling them, hey, I'm predicting this. This is going to happen. So look at this. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. And so look at this next part. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Always a good idea to reprimand Jesus. (laughs) For saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. See, to me, this kind of puts a picture of where the disciples are at. You see them going, okay, he is our Messiah. He has been our leader. He's done so many amazing things. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be arrested. And they're like, no, that's not possible, God. And then the part about raising from the dead, they're like, we don't even understand that. We don't get it. And so Peter is pulling them aside. And you think Peter is like crazy, but I think all the disciples were thinking it. I'm like, God, what, what are you talking about? Things are going so well right now. But that's where they're at. And then it happens, and they're running. They're scared. Because now, let's look at these three circumstances that begin to happen. Because at this point, here's what's happened. Jesus has died, and there are these rumors, these rumors that Jesus has raised from the dead. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid. Now, I remind you, the disciples had a moment where Jesus called them out and said, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a friend with you, and I want you to go to all these cities, and I want you to do miracles in my name. I want you to show people who I am. And so they stood up to the Pharisees. They helped people. They saw miracles happen. They had this boldness. They had this courage. But then Jesus dies, and there's these rumors of him possibly being alive again, but they're scared now. Fear has taken over, which... I think all of us, when you got that curveball thrown at you, or you've been dealing with just some scars in your life, did fear take over? Were you afraid to do anything? So you went into hiding, just like the disciples are doing. I think fear is a very powerful piece to us dealing with scars because it causes us to be in this moment of going, I don't know if I can move forward, I don't know if I can do this because I am scared to death of what may happen next. I know for me, when I had my failure of bombing on stage, I had the hardest time getting over the fear that I would have to do this again. If I'm gonna walk down being a pastor, there's gonna be this moment where I'm gonna have to speak. And so I wonder what it is for you. What fear is causing you to maybe give up Maybe it's overcome your life, and that's all you think about. And so that's where the disciples are at, where fear has taken over. Now, one of the disciples even went to another direction of this. It's another kind of normal reaction in this, and his name was Thomas. Thomas had a tough time believing the rumors that the Savior that he had gotten to know, his best friend Jesus, 
would possibly raise from the dead. Here's what he says. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hands into the wound in his side. I mean, I think most of us can somewhat relate where he was once a believer. He, he believed that Jesus could do it, and then he dies, and then he hears these rumors of being raised from the dead, and he's like, man, I won't believe it until I see it. And then he gets a little weird. He's like, I've got to put my fingers in his wounds and his, my hand in his side, and probably the disciples are like, dude, that's kind of weird, okay? But that's where Thomas is, where he once had this belief, but now he's doubting. I think most of us can understand that too. It's kind of a normal reaction when life doesn't go the way that we go, want it to. When circumstances start to happen, we start to go, God, I thought it was gonna work out like this. Why is it falling apart? God, I thought you were gonna step in. Why didn't you? And so this doubt starts to take over. And hear me on this, doubt is not a bad thing. That, I think doubt is actually needed in life. It actually helps us build our faith. But the danger is, is sometimes we stay in doubt way too long. We just settle in there. And we don't ever move out. We're just like, this is where I'm at. We don't try to fight out of it. We're just like, this is the season I'm going to be in and I'm going to stay here. I'm just going to continually doubt what's going on. And I would say Thomas is there. He's struggling to believe that this guy that he saw do so many miracles in his life, struggling to go, can he really raise from the dead? Can he really do that? I don't know. And if Thomas were to stay there, that kind of leads his life just kind of at a certain spot, his faith at a certain spot. And so you've got fear, you've got doubt. Here's the last thing you see from the disciples. Several disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. I wish they would have said almost all of them. All right. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, put this in the context. I, I find this funny where he's like, he has just lost his best friend. He's wrestling through it. There's these rumors going around. He can't understand it, can't do it. And he's like, all right, I, I'm going fishing. Like, I don't know what else to do. The best way I know how to solve things is just go sit on a boat and go fishing. I think some of us have been there. Life is so difficult. Life is so hard. We don't get it, don't understand it. But the best thing, to, what sounds amazing right now, let's just go fishing. <laughs> let's just solve it that way. And the great part is, is like all the other stuff, hey, we'll come too. Like, let's do this. They all said, so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. That sounds miserable. <laughs> like trying all night and you're not catching anything. Now, the irony of that is before Jesus had called them into ministry and said, hey, come follow me in this, they were fishermen. So they have this amazing three years with Jesus of seeing Jesus move and being a part of this movement. And now they're struggling with, okay, Jesus has died, there's these rumors. I don't, are we supposed to carry this? What are we supposed to do? We're confused and the best thing I know to do is let's just go back to what I know. And that's fishing. You almost sense this kind of settling mentality. 
Like, I don't understand what God's doing. I don't understand where, what I'm supposed to do in the midst of this. I know God had called me to this. I was supposed to move and be a part of this, but now I don't get it anymore, so let's just go back to this. It's kind of like they were distracting themselves from doing what God really wanted them to do. And so I wonder how many of us have distracted ourselves to where God has pushed in, God has been talking to you and saying, you should do this. And you tried it. Maybe it failed or maybe you never even gave it a try. And you're like, God, no, 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 I'll go do this. I know for me, when I was running from that being a pastor, I tried to pursue business. I tried to pursue music. I tried to pursue anything that was not ministry related. I was trying to distract myself from facing the reality of this is what God wanted me to do. Disciples are in the same boat. I'm going, this is difficult. I don't know what to do in the midst of this. So I'll just go find something that I know I can do. I can control the situation. So you've got fear, you've got doubt, and you've got distraction. All normal reactions in the midst of our scars. But if we're not careful, they change the perspective of how we see life in a very unhealthy way. And the powerful part to me in all these circumstances, Jesus steps in in their lives and shows them how to overcome fear, how to overcome doubt, and how to overcome the distractions that are in their lives. So let's go back and, and see what Jesus does. So you go back to that moment where they're afraid. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he says. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. I mean, think of the power of that. Think of that moment and such... <laughs> I wish I could have been there. I wish all of us could have been there and just saw the disciples seeing their best friend before them and going, he's right there. We saw him die, but he's standing right there. And not only that, we saw his wounds. We saw his scars. It's Jesus. What was once fear, God is now turning into a courageous and bold heart because of the love that he has for them. He didn't want them to stay in fear. He didn't want fear to paralyze them. Instead, he's like, don't be scared any longer. Now, Thomas wasn't there when he first showed up. And so it talks about this. Here's the next part. So eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then this part is what gets me. Then he said to Thomas, I mean, think about it. You're in that room. Thomas has said, the disciples had heard Thomas say the words that he had said. He's like, I won't believe it until I touch the scars. And Jesus just looks at him and says, Thomas, put, my put your finger right here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe how powerful those words would have been for Thomas, who was in the moment of doubt. But then you see kind of even Thomas's heart begin to change because he says, my Lord and my God. 
I can't even do that line justice. I can't imagine the emotions he was feeling, the, probably the tears that are coming down his eyes, because you can see it. Thomas exclaimed, he is just in awe of what Jesus has just done. Jesus helped him move from being in a season of doubt to becoming a believer again, and his faith, his belief has become so much stronger because of this moment. See, I love this about Jesus. He loves us so much that he goes, I don't want fear, I don't want doubt to overtake you, but sometimes we have to walk through it in the midst of our scars. And Jesus says, I'll be there. I've got you. I'll help you walk this out. Then you go to the last one, the distraction. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? Now, that would have been great to kind of hear what the response was. No, dang it. And they're like, they don't even know who this guy is yet. So then, then Jesus gives a voice, hey, how about you throw the nets on the other side? Which I was thinking, haven't you tried that already? Like... But all of a sudden, they're catching so many fish that their boat begins to sink. So they're all looking at this guy now going, who is this guy? And so then, as they're kind of bringing the fish in, they start to recognize, they're like, one of the disciples goes, I think that may be Jesus. Peter freaks out, jumps out of the boat and starts swimming to Jesus, which I think... I don't know if that was a great idea because I feel like the boat and Peter probably got there at the same time. They're like, hey, Peter. <laughs> like, <laughs> and once all of them get there, Jesus is like, all right, hey, I want to have a meal with you guys, so bring some of the fish. Let's eat. And Jesus has this powerful moment with the disciples where he says, don't forget what I've called you to do. Yeah, I'm going to go up to heaven but I need you to carry what I started here. Carry this mission of showing people who I am. Showing them that what I did, how I conquered death, how I conquered sin, you need to let people know about that. That's why I picked you. That's why I want you to follow me. Don't go and be distracted by the things you used to do, by the things you're comfortable with. Go and do the things I believe I've called you and I know you can do. And so you see Jesus pushing them back into what God had asked them to do. And from this moment on, you see the disciples take on this different perspective of saying, we're not gonna let fear, we're not gonna let doubt, we're not gonna let the distractions lead our lives anymore. If anything, we're gonna let this scar of seeing our best friend die, but also raised from the grave, be the thing that pushes us be the thing that leads us. And they started what we know now as the church. They started going to every place they could and telling them about who Jesus is and teaching them what it means to become a Christian, which literally means followers of Christ. That's what they started. But Jesus had to walk them through the scars. And the significance of that is Jesus, the scars, tell the story of hope. They needed to see Jesus' scars in a different perspective and recognize, whoa, Jesus' scars doesn't mean fear. It doesn't mean doubt. It doesn't mean distraction. It means the opposite. It means we've got hope in this. It means we don't have 
to sit here and be like, man, what do we do now? The world is over. Our best friend is gone. He's like, no, we have hope. We can keep walking this out. We now don't have to be fearful. We now don't have to be full of doubt. We can change what we've thought. Our perspective is completely different because our best friend did things that we didn't think were possible, did things for us that we didn't even know could happen. And so you see this now turn into gratitude, turn into hope, turn into mission. And so Jesus' scars are so powerful. And Peter wrote this about Jesus' scars. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. To me, this is pretty profound that Peter wrote this. A man that said earlier, heaven forbid, Lord, you go and do this. You go be arrested. You go and die. No. But now you see the perspective has changed. He says, by his wounds, by his scars, we are healed. So do Jesus' scars matter to you? Do they matter? Have you owned them in such a way that your scars in your life, you're starting to see is like, oh, I don't have to carry these. They don't have to weigh me down. If anything, Jesus' scars made it possible for my scars to heal and my perspective to change. I know recently this has been rocking me in such a good way because I was... I was helping a lady recently who, such a sad story, she became a widow. She lost her husband, um, this was probably about a year ago, and, and I was doing the funeral. Now, hard part was her husband that she lost was my age, and I had done the wedding for them about four years before that. And so for me, I'm sitting here going, God, I don't know what to say, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this funeral, because what do you say in a moment like that? How do you help give hope in a moment like that? And so we went through the funeral, and, and I remember God help us, lead us in this, and it went probably the best that it could. It still was so difficult, and I could see this scar for her really starting to set in and really starting to change her perspective, and I would say in a little bit of an unhealthy way, which is normal. Fear was starting to take over. Doubt was starting to take over. And so I, I decided, I was like, okay, God, I need to meet with her. I need to check in with her and see how she's doing. And so we got together, and, and she came with these lists of questions, questions that I totally understand. She's like, can can my husband see me right now? Can he see me crying? Can he see me in the house that used to be ours? He's like, she's, and, and Todd, help me understand, like, why would, why would God allow this? I mean, we, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to grow old. Now all that's gone. And she's like, I feel like I'm missing out on an opportunity. I feel like I'm missing out on part of my life. And I sat there and went, what do I say? <laughs> what, 
What, do, what can I possibly say in that moment? Because all of those questions were great questions. And I didn't really have any answers to them. But then it was like God stepped in and said, don't forget about this. And he was saying, remember, the best is still to come. Heaven is coming where there will be no more pain. There will be no more scars. And it's like he said, I know this time here on earth will have its tough moments where the pain will feel almost unbearable. But if you're willing to keep this perspective that heaven is going to be amazing, heaven is going to change everything, then it kind of helps us, we've still got hope. I mean, even telling her is going, you know what, you, you see, God is giving us an opportunity not only to spend eternity with him, but you also get to spend eternity with your husband. It doesn't end here on earth. It's not over. And I think the danger is, is sometimes we think that if we have these scars where it feels like our life was cut short, our opportunities were cut off, we go, we missed out. And God's going, but your time here on earth is so small compared to what it will be in heaven, and you're thinking earth is going to be better than heaven. And according to the Bible, God says heaven is going to be perfect. And I don't even think we can understand that, how good it is actually going to be. But it's so easy to lose that perspective. But hear me, Jesus didn't come to this world so that we would die and raise from the grave so we can have a good life here on earth. He died so that you could spend eternity with him in heaven and have a relationship, him in heaven, having relationships with other believers for the rest of eternity to where it would be perfect. See, we have to remember this. Jesus' scars tell us our story is not over. It doesn't end here. The moment of failure, that moment of rejection, that moment of loss, the moment of confusion doesn't mean that's it. He says, no, our story is not over. Jesus' scars mean that we have hope regardless of what happens in our lives. And so the question becomes is, do you believe that? Do you believe that with all of your heart? Now, some of you may go, I, I do believe that, but man, I am struggling with some of the scars in my life. And maybe a better question is this, how can God use my scars? Because I saw this in my life where what I walked through and the scar that I had of failing and dealing with that moment of going, God, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm gonna be able to cut it as a pastor. I've had so many conversations with other pastors who were walking through the same kind of dynamic, who needed that encouragement to know, no, no, God's got you. It's not over. Reality is, is God's just working through you. No longer do we have to be defined by our failures or the moments of rejection. Instead, we can be defined of how we overcame those because of the hope that Jesus Christ offers. See, I believe God goes, I want you to hold on to my scars so that you can learn to use your scars to help the people around you. 
Remember, God never planned this. This was never his intention for us to go through a world where you have to deal with scars, have to deal with pain. Remember, we chose to let this sin in. We chose to break the relationship. But God says that doesn't end it there. My scars, what I did gives us hope again. And so you have to go back to, do I believe it? Do I believe God can use my scars? And so here's how I wanna end this. I simply want you to take some time and write down the scars that are in your life. What are the things that have hurt you? And write down those moments where you're going, man, that, that was hard. And maybe you may have to write down some old scars that you think, I'm done with those. But I would say write them all down. And then here in a moment, we're gonna take communion. And here's why I think it is so critical for us to do this is because this time as we walk into the presence of God, is significant where we take a piece of bread that represents Jesus' broken body for us. And then we take the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. We are choosing to remember the scars that Jesus carried for us. We are choosing to remember the scars that are on his body that tell us our failures, our rejection, our scars in our own life don't have to define us because Jesus' scars changed it all. Jesus' scars gives us love, gives us grace, gives us hope, gives us truth, gives us freedom. See, that's what Jesus' scars do. And then he can take our scars and go, I'm gonna help other people through your scars. You're gonna learn to overcome them and you're gonna help others experience the same thing. And so you realize Jesus did this moment with the disciples where he took bread and broke it with them and took this wine and shared it and said, do this in remembrance of me. Now at that time, they probably didn't understand the full scope of it. They're like, what? okay. But think about them having communion after Jesus died and raised from the grave. How significant that would have been. How much those scars and taking that bread and taking that juice would have mattered to them. And I ask, do we have the same mentality? Do we hold on to Jesus' scars in such a powerful way it keeps us having the right perspectives in life? So my hope and prayer is that when you take communion, here's all that I ask, that you believe that Jesus Christ died and raised from the grave and you understand what you're doing. And if you are still wrestling with it, that's fine. But maybe wait. Because I want this moment to be one where we own what Jesus did for us and we own the scars that he took on for us so that we can learn to be a people that have the right perspective, have the right heart in dealing with our scars. Let me pray for us. Dear God, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would guide us and lead us in this moment. May we see you move in a powerful way. And so Lord, I, I know with everybody listening, with everybody in here, there can be so many scars, scars that have led people down a road that they are not proud of, 
They have let fear, they have let doubt, they have let distraction take over. And so God, today they get the opportunity to change that and be reminded of the perspective that they should have, that your scars changed it all. And God, I also pray for those who may be wrestling and maybe today they made that choice of saying, God, I own your scars. God, forgive me of the sins that I've caused. Forgive me of my mess. God, I need your help. And may they start walking this out today, having this new belief of going, Jesus did that for me. And that changes everything. So God, in this moment, may we honor you and may we remember how powerful it is to take communion and to recognize the scars that you took on your body so that we can be free, so that we can learn to love, so that we can have hope. We love you, Lord, and we ask all of this in your son's name.